So we've seen a lot of these related companies, like related to the AV space, move in different directions because the timeline, which I do believe is still continues to be drawn out. And the reason why I think that the credit issue or cap, you know, being able to gain um, access capital is such a problem is it's not just at the economic uncertainty, which is obviously happening right now, but it's also because there isn't a proven business model yet. Hello, and welcome to the Atonicast. My name is Ed Niedermeyer. I am the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor at TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, um, no longer the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I never represented on this show. However, I have a lot to say about Argo. Well, maybe a little bit I could say in this show. Um, but I want to discuss my title. Like, can we fit that into this episode? My, my title. What? A lot of people don't understand what I was what I was doing. <laughs> oh, you mean your I had, previous I had, title? You I had multiple. Title. <laughs> and multiple people, like multiple people over the years, Alex, be like, "So, what does Alex Roy do at Argo AI? What is a director of special operations at an autonomous vehicle company?" I've 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 never had a good answer for it. So, like, better late than never. Uh, well, you know, we could spend a whole episode discussing it. And actually, we should at some point discuss it because I, I got to touch on almost every aspect of the company except code. It's good that you kept me away from that. But, um, you know, I recently, just when the company came to an end, decided to change my own title to something that I pitched earlier in my time there and somebody there didn't like it. And and I, I wanted to borrow the title from my friend, uh, Tom Goodwin, who's like a big LinkedIn influencer and like quote unquote thought leader, but like the real thing. And he, his title at his old corporate job was head of futures and insights, which I kind of think would have been a more accurate title for me. So I've changed for anyone who looks at my LinkedIn and now says former head of special operations, comma futures and insights. And I'll leave it at that. Let's be cryptic until we devote, can devote an episode to it. Wow. So I actually know less about what you do now than 30 seconds ago. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, here's the thing. When I, when Brian Seleski and I have nothing but great things to say about him, the co-founder of Argo AI, when he hired me, asked me based on a three hour conversation about what I was going to do, what I wanted my title to be. And I wanted to call myself a director of special circumstances for anyone who's ever read an Ian Banks novel about the culture, um, you will understand the reference. I know Elon Musk will understand the reference, um, but Brian's like, what the hell does that mean? And so I'm like, well, strategy and product are taken. He's like, yeah, they're taken and they're not going to like that. So pick something else. I'm like, special operations is fine. And it was fine until the Russians invaded Ukraine. And now, like, I'm never going to escape. It's like, it just sounds weird. And I was never in the military. So but we'll cover this in another episode. Don't we have something else to talk about besides me? Well, I mean, I think just to wrap up Argo in a, a neat little bow, which will <laughs> actually never be neat. <laughs> um, I will have the to book say will be written. that. Pearson, are you going to write the book? Should I write the book? Maybe we'll have to write it together. It'd be um, a great book. Although you were, although you, you provided 
me with zero information for my scoop. So thank you for that. that was it would have awesome. been too obvious was, if, if you yeah, had the I was whole say, story we, right away. <laughs> like we have to we have to touch on this at least because like you know, I think on the internet, you know, you can kind of accuse anyone of anything. And I think it's like the easiest, it would be the easiest and laziest thing in the world to say, like, oh, Kirsten Corsett got the scoop of Argo AI shutting down because she has a podcast with the director of special operations. I mean, I would AI. think that. I, the, uh, thing so- I, the, the one thing that I need to say, you guys, you guys are the people involved. The one thing I want to say before I let you guys explain what happened here is like, hopefully like we don't come across as that basic on this show that we would be so stupid. Like hopefully yeah. if you listen to this show, you understand that like, you know, we have enough respect for people <laughs> that like being that obvious is not really how we do things. Anyway, I'll let you guys. I, I owe you both yeah. an apology because uh, Kirsten, I saw you at TechCrunch the week before Argo shut down. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry that I like bald face, like to your, I mean, I had to put on a poker face um, they were still events unfolding and I thought it might've gone differently. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. I had to, you know, poker face lie to a lot of people that week. Well, and, the thing uh, is, is that you were so good that I didn't know you were lying to me or doing anything because what happened was for just the real quick back, very quick backstory, um, during disrupt, Alex was there. It was great. He was, you know, working the work in the room and working and networking as he always does cool as a cucumber as if everything was amazing in the world of um, Argo and AVs and all that. Um, and the, and the last disrupt ended. And while I was there, I received a tip through someone else, um, through another work colleague. And it was so outrageous. And just, I immediately was like, this isn't possible because I literally just, and I said this to my coworker, I just saw Alex. He was, I know if there was something like this going on, I would have known, which, and then it bothered me for a bit. And so I started looking around and then, you know, actually the the tip was a little outrageous. It was like an outrageous version of what ended up being the case, but it wasn't wrong. Totally. Um, And so that's how it went down. Um, but I actually thought, and Ed and I sat there like trying to figure out exactly what was going on initially. And our theories were way off. Um, until I finally, you know, the, the night before, and then of course the morning of the all hands, a lot of people with direct knowledge reached out to me and that's kind of how it went down. So, um, Alex and I are friends and we've always tried to have a little bit of a wall between, you know, his job and this place. And that wall withstood a bigger <laughs> story. And and the good well, news is, is that I was able to, <laughs> the good news is that I was able to do my story without that. So, you know, it, it worked out. Look, you know, I was lucky enough to sit on like the senior most group of like, uh, I don't know, 15 or 18 people in the company. And so I've always had to wall that off. Um, so look, someday, the rest of the story will come out and it's not what people think and it could have gone differently. And I'm sorry that it didn't. Um, it was an amazing place. And I'm, I was glad to see so many people who are no longer with the company like me, no longer with Argo, um, the kind words they had to say for the company and the culture and, uh, and Brian and Pete and Brett, Brian Slusky, the CEO and, and Pete Randall, the co-founder and Brett, who is the, uh, basically the uh, head of technology. Great people. And another time we can go into that in more detail. Uh, and um, 
with that, well, let's move on because uh, I think it's too soon well, for me to talk. Well, you know, <laughs> I think it's – well, I was going to say you you have repeatedly in the past on this show and on Twitter predicted the speeding up and consolidation of the industry. I certainly um, did. I'm just, <laughs> and yeah, here and, it is. And, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I'll say too, I mean, I, I think it's – is it interesting how things work out because, um, you know, I think – Argo's loss in, in some ways uh, is, is I think definitely going to be the Tonicast gain because I will just say personally, and I totally understand like it's been so cool to see Alex. I mean, it was like a dream job, I think for anybody in the AV space to, to have the kind of position that you were in and to see what you saw and to be involved in the things that you were involved in. But I will say personally, as selfishly as a co-host of this show, it's been frustrating for you to, to have you be like, I can't talk about that for the last couple of years. Right, well, let, about here, a lot of issues. So, let me pay you the respect of returning my old self temporarily. It's wonderful to not no longer be at Argo. So now I can unload on like the blistering morons who and some of their op-eds about AV in general. Uh, and I haven't been able to use exactly those words, but like the like the steaming shit show of some of the analysis of what's happened in this sector, you know, in recent weeks, even before the Argo shutdown, has really been something I've wanted to, you know turn like a a big fan on and like and like just you know just talk Let, let's just talk about that <laughs> this is this is this yeah. is exactly what i'm talking about and and this is great because we don't have to talk about argo specifically here sure. because basically there's been a narrative for a couple of weeks now uh that you know this whole space is like just all scams, all these companies are going away, no value has been created, it was a waste of $100 billion, and the story, and I'll say the names and and, and make the call-outs here, the uh-huh. story that kicked it all off was Max Chaffin's like, cover story on business Bloomberg Business Week, and there's a lot of good people at Bloomberg, and I don't know Max personally at all, um, our paths have never crossed, but I'm going to say right now, that was the worst piece of journalism about the driving automation technology space I've seen in multiple years. And like, that's saying something. It's a hard space to cover. <laughs> People screw it. There's a million ways to screw it up. People do it all the time. This was the worst piece of auto- of autonomous vehicle sector coverage in years. Am I, am I that like, am I, am I taking that big <laughs> well, of a leap well, saying Ed, that? Why don't you, Ed and Alex, why don't you both explain what, like give specific points because it's easy to say this Happily. is the worst. Uh, well, well, before you get into it, let's just be clear, okay? So Matt's Chaffin, I've read his stuff before, and generally he does good work. You know, I, I have no issue with him on a personal level. But and he also describes himself well. well all right, let, whatever. Let's. I, I feel about him the way I feel about my Tesla. I love my Tesla, but and but. this article, the, the headline was um, what was it? A hundred billion dollars spent on autonomous vehicles and nothing to show for it. That was it. The and headline? they're going even and after self-driving cars are going nowhere. Self-driving cars right. are going all right. nowhere. All right. So all right. So right off the bat, that's just untrue. Uh, it's untrue. Uh, it's untrue even even after the Argo shutdown. But it's so obviously untrue. And this is coming from me. I'm sure Max doesn't know this about me. Before I joined Argo, I was a huge skeptic of AV, and I only changed my tune after learning more about the meeting, the folks at Argo and learning more about the technology. But nothing that's happened and nothing in that article suggests that AV is dead or is going to die. It's inevitable. It's absolutely inevitable. But what really makes the article absurd, and there is a lot of criticisms one can level at the sector, um, absurd is, is his two primary sources, but really the primary source is a guy, is a, is, is a guy who really deserves no airtime, and that's Anthony Lewandowski. I mean, this guy, it is really rich. For this guy, 
to come out and become like as it and pretend that he's the guy who always knew it was going to be hard and and AVs and take a long time. That's what we should do: driver assistance or whatever structured autonomy he's doing with what's he construction farming? What's he doing? He's yeah, not even he's not even working mining. on specific use cases. He's got this he's, he's getting basically like a crypto fueled V to X like uh, network kind no of. No one, I'll say it flat out. No one should be going to Lewandowski uh for a an in for thought leadership or context about anything pertaining to autonomy. I'm sorry. You, you should not. So, there are many other people who are maybe less feisty, but a lot more credible with a consistent pattern of accurate predictions. I'm not saying I'm one of them. But I am. And now, Ed, take it away and take down the Max Levchkin story. Go ahead. No, well, so so I think you 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 put your finger on that that it's the the sourcing is one right. So the narrative is problematic, and there's one thing for it to be like clickbait, right? It's one thing to have like an exaggerated headline that is not technically true, but gets your attention to brings your attention to like an insightful story. That's not the case here. It, it's it's literally a lazy and misleading and untrue headline. With like very very patchy reporting of, of as you say, Alex, like like the facts don't even do that good of a job of of illustrating the narrative that he's that he's putting out here with this, and the sourcing is really the worst part of it. So I, you know, Max Shevkin does not write a lot or report a lot about the AV sector. I was not really that familiar with his work because I don't read a lot of sort of general tech coverage of stuff. I, I kind of have very specific interests and. I was sort of curious after reading the piece and being again kind of like shocked by it, um, and not in a good way. Uh, you know what? What has he reported on in the AV sector in the past? So I looked into it. His biggest story, as really his only major AV story, was in oh gosh, I think it was 2017. Yeah, it was 2017. Uh, so peak AV hype, and it was the announcement of Uber, like starting robo taxi operations in in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and and it, it, his who was his main source? Anthony Lewandowski, the the ex Google genius that Uber had just hired away. This is 2017. This is the year before Uber's AV program literally killed a person. It was before Google accused Lewandowski successfully, like pro, you know he was prosecuted, <laughs> federally indicted for stealing technology for Google. Like the timing of this piece, and and like. There's like, some, why would you believe some, anything this guy says? <laughs> there's some like gestures at like uh, like pro forma skepticism or whatever, like sort of like you know journalistic ass covering, really of like, well, maybe everything he's saying isn't a hundred percent true, but like fundamentally, the story is incredibly just like credulously reported, and and based on you know the the claims of the worst developer in the space, essentially outside of Tesla, the worst individual in the space, <laughs> like period, basically well, outside of Elon the most Musk. Controversial. Certainly and, the and, most and here's the real thing, guys. It's not just that this bad report, like, like the really important thing to take away from this is that the people who are the most credulous at peak hype, right, I think have to then when it's clear that that peak hype is not true, they have to kind of be the first ones to speak up and, and posture as being skeptics. But but like it's just as meaningless in both cases, right? The optimism and the credulity of 2016 was as misleading and 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 served readers as poorly as this sort of faux skepticism in 2022. And Kirsten, so, I, I and again, like I know this is harsh, but I think that's that's how I see it. Kirsten, may I say one more thing before you take over? In just so uh, there, there's only 
a couple of real thought leaders in, in this sector. And I mean, people who made predictions ahead of everyone else that turned out to be true. One of them is Rodney Brooks. We should have him on this show. He was one of the co-founders of uh, iRobot. He's great. He does a blog where he makes predictions every year about AI and self-driving. And then he grades his own predictions. And it's a level of like self-reflection and self-effacement and humor that's wonderful. And the other one, I'm not saying it's me. But I will say this, in 2016 or 17, when the Atonicast went to Israel to uh, host, uh, uh, co-host and moderate some panels at, Mani- at Mobility Week, and I presented a deck where I said, hey, everybody, autonomous vehicles will not be the dominant, even the fastest growing sector to scale in, in transportation in 2025 or even 2030. It's going to be super ADAS, like awesome driver assistant technologies. They're going to evolve. And they're going to become ubiquitous. And I was completely right. And joining Argo was not an attempt to, to um, discount what I said previously, but merely to say if any AV company is going to grow alongside the growth of ADAS, it's going to be Argo or a company like that. And I picked Argo because I happen to like leadership the best. And so these people, people like Lewandowski, are basically chasing headlines, um, chasing trends in order to, well, in, in Lewandowski's case, I think um, – What's the a reboot his reputation? And the whole story reads like his public, he hired a new publicist and said, who said, why don't you go back to your guy, Chevkin? This guy will rehabilitate your reputation. And Bloomberg's a great place to do that. Kirsten, All I right. want to get your, you're the, <laughs> you're the only working journalist here. So <laughs> let's get your take on this. <laughs> So, um, okay, first of all, on in terms of the, the individuals who were quoted within the story, George Hotz and Anthony Lewandowski. So I have talked to those guys um, repeatedly over the years, and I do you actually like think that they have interest. What? You like George, right? I mean, I find both people very interesting, and they are smart, and they do have things to offer. However, it's never a good idea to pin you know, an entire journalistic enterprise, meaning an article on kind of outrageous characters in the space. It makes it interesting. It should be part of the reporting. Um, you know, I've kept in touch with, with uh, Lewandowski over the years and he does have interesting insights. However, your job as a journalist is to certainly go and And I have to force myself to do this. Actually, it's very easy to go back to people and sources that you have used over the years or have gotten to know. But what ends up happening is, is that you end up becoming part of their, like an instrument of their um, theories or philosophies, as opposed to actually doing the work of a journalist. And so you have to really expand and force yourself to talk to all the different players. The expectation of course, is that if you talk to a Chris Urmson, He's going to be bullish. And if you talk to someone who got out of the space and now has pivoted to an ADAS, they're going to give you different things. But in there, in there, if you talk to enough people, you will get some really good positive um, like insights that you can report on. And also there's nothing greater than like data. So this story reminds me of when I was covering clean tech back in 2008, the great the great clean tech, you know, boom bust cycle that happened. And if you remember, there was a famous story that happened that was like the example of all the uh, chicanery and acts of subterfuge in the lies. 
Um, I just love that word. In the Kleenex case, which was the Solyndra story. And it was held up as this example of, see, Solyndra failed. Therefore, all clean tech or all solar, it's all dead. It should have died. It shouldn't exist. And guess what? There was a huge amount of consolidation that happened as a result of companies boom bust cycling and a recession. But solar didn't die. In fact, we have huge, huge saturation compared to back in 2007, 2006. And I feel like this is exactly what's happening right now with AV industry, which is there is absolutely going to be hardship and consolidation. We've seen that. But I'm a big believer, and I said this on our like little Twitter spaces, one truth doesn't refute another. Meaning it, AV can be consolidating, but that doesn't necessarily automatically mean that AV is dead. And it can also mean that AVs and ADAS exist in a world. One doesn't, you know, cancel out the other. And so it just is very, um, it's a very black and white take on things that doesn't acknowledge the fact that there has been technological process progress. There has been, um, I mean, Waymo and Cruise are examples of that progress. Is it geofenced? Sure. Is it very limited in many ways? Yes, but it exists and it's happening. Um, so let's like, you know, be careful about making claims that think something is dead when in fact there is progress being made. There's just a lot of pain right now. And if I may just say also, George Hotz, whatever one may say about him, does not deserve to be put in the same bucket as Anthony Lewandowski. Hots, and I know Hots, has never done anything to the extent, legally, anywhere near the stuff that Lewandowski's done. And so Hots does sure, not deserve sure. to be painted in that same, in the same category. Here, here's one thing. So, so Kirsten, you know, there's a lot that you said there, and I think we're going to be for weeks and months to come discussing sort of these big, these big picture issues that you're talking about. Um, one thing I, I want to be clear because we are talking about individuals here, and and it can sound like you know you're bashing an individual for for whatever reason, right? And I, I want to be clear about like why it's important to to sort of talk about this this about individuals and individual like credibility here, and it's because. In a downturn, right? Like, like when you have these cycles, like the value of downturns is that you make hard choices, right? And to make hard choices, to make good hard choices, you have to have good information. And it's hard to have good information about complex emerging technologies. And you have to rely on people. And I think one of the problems that the AV space has had broadly in terms of its public communications um, is that everyone kind of talks their book. And I know that that's inevitable to some extent, but like, it's also problematic. And I say this as, you know, someone who worked for a coalition of AV companies, you know, where we're supposed to be finding common ground. And I will tell you, even outside of the public realm, it's hard to get people to step outside of their, their narrow self-interest or their corporate interests and, and find that common ground, even when it, it is in their, their corporate interest. And I think that Lewandowski exemplifies an extreme of this. And, and here's what I mean. Right, because I think people aren't necessarily familiar with the the history here, and I think it really, really matters. Right, when when Lewandowski was at Google, right, he he was developing you know these these lidar technologies of these you know companies. He he basically you know, and there's this quote uh, from a Charles Duhigg piece 
you know, uh, it came out in 2018 where he was saying sometime in 2014, 15, 16, that like, we deserve, we don't just deserve like millions of dollars. Like we deserve billions of dollars for developing this life-changing technology. And he was ensuring that he got these kinds of insane payouts from Google by literally developing technologies in these sh- these little private companies and then selling them to Google on top of his compensation, just getting insane amounts of money from them in, in like kind of, including developing LiDAR specifically. So LiDAR, and this, this matters, he was developing LiDAR, like specifically selling it to Google and then taking that same technology allegedly and and whatever, you know, to, to Uber when he left in, in contravention of laws and contracts and things like that. And then when he was banned by law from working with LIDAR ever again, as part of the consequences of these actions, all of a sudden he surf the, the first thing he surfaces in is like, Tesla fanboy, quote unquote, reporting saying, oh, this expert in, in autonomous vehicle technology says you don't need LIDAR. Well, the guy was literally just banned. He literally was, it's against the law for him to, to professionally work with LIDAR. I, I, like, like you don't think that, and, and by the way, he just convinced not just Google, but like, but like Uber and like in the words of, of, of uh, uh, the CEO of uh, Kalanick, Travis Kalanick, laser is the sauce. Like Anthony Lewandowski was the guy who convinced Kalanick that quote unquote laser is the sauce. He gets banned from using LIDAR and now all of a sudden he's a LIDAR skeptic. Like put, this is not like rocket science. Put these pieces together. The guy talks his book. He will say whatever is in his, his immediate interest. Like don't trust him to give you a neutral take on this broad and diverse sector <laughs> like all right so is, we, you know, hang on a minute that's all true but we need to move to the next set of topics <laughs> which is that a few days later argo shut down and then riley brennan went on a ride in a cruise vehicle and loved it yeah well there are other things that happened too it's a lot um, a lot <laughs> a lot of, yeah, <laughs> so, so the article comes out um actually came out like right before disrupt then um because i i actually asked um RJ uh, Rivian founder about, you know, their approach to automated driving and things. And I brought that up. So I remember that timing. Then Argo happens. Riley Brennan, who's, you know, a fan of the show and has a popular newsletter, like took a cruise driverless ride. I actually took a cruise driverless ride as well during my time in San Francisco. It was so abbreviated. Am I the only, I'm like the only person in the world who has not ridden in a cruise. Every Tesla influencers are getting cruise rides before me. To all my friends at cruise, it is incredible to me that you allowed me into the rider program while I was an executive at Argo. Thank you. It was so much fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, on the flip uh, so side, I, they were also emailing uh, uh, reporters after Argo shut down, trying to twist the knife. So, like, I don't know yeah, if they're all your friends, bro. <laughs> yep, I received a, a funny email. Um, so, well, what did I, it I say? Actually, Can you tell us what it said. I mean, basically, it just said, you know, it, this happens a lot. Like, a big event happens, and then another company will come on and like try to like, you know, twist the knife to. Let's call well, it what not it just is. Twi- well, no, not just twist the knife though, but like also it's opportunistic to like get their name and in, in you know coverage. So so so, it was, so right. it's yeah. not just it's not just <laughs> twisting the knife. It's seeking to profit off of the the yeah. suffering of others. That's you're right. Yes. Thank you. Let's let's yeah. be yeah. accurate about what we're yeah. talking about. So this happens actually a lot anytime anything like this hap- like any big news happens. It's very common for me, and then I always roll my eyes and like go no thank you. But in this case, it was, um, you know, Cruz reaching out to remind me that just the day before, 
Kyle Vogt had, in fact, talked about, you know, how it's going to be rough out there in the in during GM's earnings. So it was, you know, and if you would like to, you know, use his quote, here it is. So, um, you know, it was it was something like that. Companies do this. They must do it because it, it must work. But I, I just to put it out it's there. It's never I, worked for me, though. It's I was like going to say, for, for me, this is like a really good test of like, who are the less ethical and like honorable companies in the space? It's like when something bad happens to a competitor who's like immediately in your like texts or inbox. Well, like, the funny thing is, is it was like within it. an, yeah. I mean, I think I got it within like an hour of my story coming out. So it was like, you know. Um, they're hustling over there, but, uh, yeah. so I, 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 in the past week though, I did a driverless Waymo ride in downtown Phoenix, um, which I had to have, good, and right? I wrote about this. I had to, I had to have a Waymo employee with me because right now it's just, um, the driverless is not open to the public. Then I did a, you know, a cruise driverless, the smash Chefkin story happened in between that time and Argo shuts down and the mobile eye IPO comes. So you get these crazy pulls and that goes back to my whole point, which is that one, you can have multiple truths. You can have the third most successful IPO with a company that already has an existing business model in which, by the way, AVs is part of that, uh, but everyone glommed onto the ADAS piece of it. While an AV company shuts down and you have you know this kind of crazy article out there and two driverless rides in two different cities. Like these things can all exist together. So the, I, I got a lot of, actually I got a, a bunch of mean messages or whatever, like spicy messages. Um, when I wrote my newsletter, which was like, listen, the AV industry in my view is not dead. Um, and of course, you know, I got a lot of pushback from that, but I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Well, I mean, and, you know, so my, the, the people who say it's dead are the same people who've never ridden in an Argo, a Waymo and a cruise in in like real conditions. These have. So we were so. we were just talking about this, like I feel like a couple months ago. Um, I know because like when I went to the last couple times I've, I went to San Francisco this year. So basically the first two trips post pandemic, it's been it, it blew my mind just like how many AVs are just all over that city. And again, like this is. If you live on the West Coast, like, is there a harder place or a more challenging place to drive than San Francisco? I'm, maybe there are some small ones, but like downtown San Francisco, for me, just in my extensive experience driving up and down this coast, like, it's one of the more challenging areas. You go there and there's three different companies with just vehicles all over that downtown driving. And like, you know, if they if this was all a scam, like those things would be causing all kinds of problems. And there are problems, don't get me wrong. Like, and and, you know. Max Schaffkin, like in his reporting, like the lead, you know, anecdote of of like how this technology is a scam is that some Waymos were like using someone's driveway to make three point turns, like in in a day. Hey, look, you know, like look, the, there's there's multiple components to what an AV company needs to become a profitable business, and on the way to that, there it is one a lot of money, two the technology's got to work, and three and it's probably three, four, and five, but certainly community engagement, regulatory environment, and, and other issues. But uh, in inside that, it, are the, the, these narratives of AV never working are often come down to selecting a series of events that show suboptimal technology, which is surmountable over time. And, that, and 
and missing in all this is that if the Argos shutdown was not a technical issue. It was a financing issue. And the real question moving forward, and I've been saying this, as Kirsten pointed out, for a long time on this show, M&A is going to accelerate in an economic downturn. The real question is, which companies can continue to raise money or live on what they banked before the market collapse long enough to execute on their OG business model? Um, because well, that's, a company I'm, like I'm a glad Mobileye, you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. A company like Mobileye, and you know, another time we can go into the pros and cons of their te- technical approach, can fund R&D out of revenues. Some people may not like them, but that's a very different business model from what, what – Cruz, Waymo, and Argo would do. Yeah, they they have. Act, I mean, the the big my big point, and Alex, you can tell me if you disagree with this, but with Argo and with others, to me, the the everyone's like, well, f- well, Ford, VW, you know, all this, they're all giving up on AVs, and you know, we'll see. Actually, I don't think that they're actually giving up on AVs. Ford has very much said they they feel like they can go to a supplier, right? Um, but well, we know VW is not giving up because they put out a release yeah. last week. Uh, one Christian Singer for VW, but on LinkedIn, he's like, "We can't wait to deploy level four in Europe, the United States." Right. So, to me, though, like casting every automaker is they're all shifting to ADAS. Like, guess what? We talked about this on the show two years ago when every lidar company saw that they were not going to be able to make money off of AVs because AVs was frontier tech, and they all shifted to ADAS. So this is not like some new phenomenon that occurred in the last two weeks. This is actually been is that a shout out to your friend, time. Austin Russell <laughs> um, over at Luminary app. Um, but this has been happening for a while. Companies were forced to look at teleops companies, for example, like Phantom. Um, Phantom Auto. Yeah. Phantom Auto. Thank you. Um, have moved more towards like forklifts and things like that. I mean, closed environments. So we've seen a lot of these, related companies like related to the AV space move in different directions because the timeline, which I do believe is still continues to be drawn out. And the reason why I think that the credit issue or cap, you know, being able to gain um, access capital is such a problem is it's not just at the economic uncertainty, which is obviously happening right now, but it's also because there isn't a proven business model yet. There is not a proven business model yet. So it's not just funding tech that all of a sudden we commercialize and it's guaranteed profits. There is not a guarantee profit yet because there isn't really a business model yet that has been truly tested at scale. To me, that is the biggest issue of why companies are facing even more pressure to raise money than ever before. Because the assumption was, oh, they're just going to make money like ride hailing. Well, uh, Lyft literally just announced 15 minutes ago that they're laying off 13% of their staff and having to cut costs. Um, ride hailing has been very difficult to productize to a point where you are profitable. Adjusted profits, sure, but not on a gap basis. So to me, this is like the biggest crux for AVs. I think it'll get sorted out. But it's hard to ask for capital when it's frontier tech and there is no proven business model that guarantees that you will make profits once you are like technically ready to go. I'll say this. And uh, the book on Argo is yet to be written. I don't know if I'll be the one to write it. It is. We talk a lot about people who talk their book and hype things up. It is ironic that the most honest, um, 
and blunt leader in the sector, Brian Slesky, co-founder of Argo, that he, here's the guy who said since day one exactly how much it was going to cost and what it would take and how long it would take since the beginning, since before Argo was founded and um, isn't rewarded for it. <laughs> and that the companies that did uh, you know, hype up their timelines and uh, capabilities much earlier, many of them are still in business. And I think that will be that's my number one takeaway from what happened. So I think I think the the level four companies ended up in a really kind of interesting no man's land in a sense, right? Because like on the one hand, you have companies like, and I think of companies like robotics research or um, our friend um, Anuja's company, Astir uh, uh, Tech, which are and, and there's a, and there's a number of these which are like very very focused automation companies, driving automation companies, right? Where they say like, like, like uh, robot, uh, robotics research started with defense contracts, right? Where the, the military is like, we need to automate this driving task, you know, very specific. And now they're moving into things like public transit, right? Where it's like one bus line. They're not trying to build necessarily a platform that can automate a whole bunch of different kinds of driving. They're doing one task at a time, right? So that there's one. And those companies that are in that space, it's not hard to, to run a, a small, but like modestly reasonably profitable company in that space. It's just not going to get the the venture capital hype. You don't know about these companies for the most part because venture capitalists haven't put a bunch of money in them because they think that these businesses and their technology are going to become a generalized solution, right? So you have that like sort of on the one hand, which shows that I think driving automation tech can, you can have profitable companies in the space. On the other end of the spectrum, I think you have like Tesla, which is basically saying like sell, it's a scam, right? It's saying your car is going to be level five, drive itself for like, you know, with some, we're going to download some code to your car, it's going to be level five. Like absolute scam, wildly profitable and wildly popular, <laughs> like, right? Whereas at the other end, you have like, you know, actual businesses that no one's ever really heard of, but they're actually creating real value. And then you have hype and popularity and, 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 and scams at the other end. And I feel like the, 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 the level four companies were sort of in between, right? Where they're like, they're like realistic about the technology. They don't think you can deploy like a truly autonomous vehicle. And they've, and you know, they've actually done it, right? They've shown that you need like these expensive perception hardware suites. You know, you need mapping, you need all these things that are like not popular or cool with, you know, the idea of like with, with venture capitalists, basically anyone who wants to see this technology become a generalized solution. But like, so, so they're realistic on the one hand, but at the same time, because like they, you know, in the process of becoming part of this venture capital hype, they kind of had to let people, first the venture capitalists and then later the car companies assume that this technology was going to be generalizable. And, and, and maybe it will be at some point, maybe we will you know, at some point evolve this technology to, to level five solutions. But the important thing is, is that the first the venture capitalists believed that the technology would get there which is why they inflated the values of these startups. And eventually they, they convinced the car companies and, and why they believe some of the bullshit <laughs> and, and, and this is right. So now that we have a downturn, the real issue, it's not that the technology has failed. It's that the level four companies are kind of in this no man's land in terms of being both realistic, but also kind of having to let people believe the hype. And at the end of the day, their fortunes, their financial fortunes ended up in the control of car companies. <laughs> and, you know, I, I definitely think, and I think we probably all agree that, you know, Ford was probably a bit short sighted. assuming Ford was, and, uh, you know, we're, we don't have any special insight into how the decision was made. Alex hasn't told us anything, if he even knows anything <laughs> about how the decision was actually made. So, so, but assuming it was Ford's responsibility, which I don't think is an unreasonable assumption, 
you know, I think it was a little short-sighted of them to just completely pull the plug on a, a company like Argo that was doing a lot of good things and developing a lot of good technology. But I think you have to say this about Ford in particular, they have been around for over a century and haven't gone bankrupt. And basically no car comp- American car companies can really say that. And the reason they've done that is because they make hard decisions right before downturns. And having started covering the auto industry in 2008, I've seen this before. Ford is good at that. They know when a downturn's coming and they make really hard decisions that maybe are short-sighted in the long run, but they're necessary to survival. And I think this kind of was one of those decisions. And so I don't agree with it. But at the same time, if you're a level four company, if you're developing something that I think people don't really are just beginning to understand is actually quite different than cars and your fortunes are controlled by a car company, you know, when the chips are down and, and the pressure's on, it's not that surprising that the car companies would be like, I'm just not going to keep sinking billions of dollars into developing something that does genuinely potentially like disrupt my business at some point, if it's not just immediately going to happen and become a, a business that makes sense for me. And I think that's kind of what well, that goes back to my business model point too, is that it wasn't just that it was an unknown. There was an unknown. They had not truly developed a business model yet. I know that there had been testing and pilots but it wasn't a truly developed business model. But they do have a business model, or they think they do, I should say, when it comes to ADAS. They have an existing product that they can continue to, you know. Now, that's assuming everything goes well, right? See, it and also, that's a big assumption. It, it's yeah, easy to say, it's, it's also, easy to say L4 doesn't have a business. There's nothing, you know, we need to right. cut the cord on this. But the assumption that L2 and L3 are problem free businesses, you know, is a big. Right. Well, yeah, well, so remember, that's what, that's. Like, the fundamental That's fork what I was gonna that say. happened last week. The fundamental fork is oh, some OEMs are going to own a big piece of L4 AV tech in the future, and some are not. And time will tell right. on which of those right. was the right decision. Well, I want to jump on what, what Ed said, which is that, again, this goes back to I, – I keep pushing myself to – and remind myself that, like, that whole one truth doesn't mean refute the other because this goes perfectly to this point. Ford may have made a really good decision. We don't really quite know if they have by pulling support for AVs. I think it was a little short-sighted, but they made a tough choice. But that does not guarantee that their ADAS play will work. By the way, also happening at a time when within the industry, we're seeing the biggest shift towards a new, a a different powertrain technology than we have ever in our lifetime, which comes with a massive cost and supply chain concerns, a huge effort to onshore, you know, battery production or battery cell production, um, and other components to the United States, massive upfront costs. They've made that bet that that's going to go well. And they've also made the bet that ADOS is going to go well, which currently is not regulated. And that could very much change. You know, we always push back when people are like, you know, when Elon would say, you know, once regulations are sorted out, it's like, there are no regulations around ADOS right now, actually. But that doesn't mean that that won't happen, especially with every automaker now seeking to capture as many dollars from consumers as possible by, you know, shilling this technology, which they're not even clear about is whether it's safety or for comfort, you know, and there's all all sorts of problems that come around with potential false advertising, false claims. And I'm not saying Ford does this, but I'm saying that it is going to be so much more attention than ever before. 
on this area. So placing a bet in this one thing isn't a guarantee when you don't even totally know how it's going to shake out on the regulatory front. And and I think you know so so which brings us well just really just really ahead, quick on this so 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 the 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 blessing and the curse of a downturn is that the bullshit gets wa- washed away or at least some of the bullshit gets washed away in the in that you know you have to kind of get back to dollars and cents right every like like you kind of have to return whatever your business to the actual business model and and make sure it's grounded in a, a viable business model and the scary prospect and the way things are honestly shaping out right now, it's possible that we're looking at a scenario where the lesson that's being learned here is that the successful business model of the last 10 years, and we've joked about this on the show with some guests and things, but like seriously, is is, is that Tesla's full self-driving and autopilot were the successful plays in driving automation technology. I think that's such a dangerous lesson. Financially, if you just look at the dollars and cents, this is the scary thing. That is a reasonable conclusion to come to if you just look at the dollars and cents so far. And I think the really important thing with, with what Tesla's been doing, and, and I thought it was amazing kismet that you know news of, of federal investigations by the Department of Justice into, into full self-driving announced were announced on the same day that 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 the Argo <laughs> demise was announced. In fact, I have to say one of my best memories of that day, this was a week ago, but one of my best memories of that day was actually telling someone, I, I'd gotten a call from someone at Argo. It wasn't Alex, it was someone else. Uh, and I was sympathizing with them. And I shared the news that that Tesla was under federal investigation from the DOJ. And they had not heard that news. And like I could tell it was the just from their reaction. It was the only thing I could have told them that would have made their day a little bit better. <laughs> and like it was so heartwarming because they were clearly having such a shitty day. And like, but but this is but this is my point is is that is that if we don't like if this downturn does not definitively reject what Tesla's been doing, if there's not a definitive accounting of the. Uh, off record, or I'm sorry, off books liabilities that are intrinsic to what Tesla's been doing with driving automation technology. They're massive liabilities that are not reflected on the on the books of that business. And until the accounting, you know, brings prices in those externalities, you can't say that full self driving or autopilot have been good businesses. And I think that in the long run, that will be the lesson. And so the real danger is is between now when the L4 companies are starting to fail. And whenever that reckoning comes, it will be possible to look at the driving automation tech business, just look at the numbers, conclude that Tesla was the most successful and, and move towards that. And like, this is what I mean by when I say like, if the car companies think that just moving into L2 and L3, if selling people a simulacrum of self-driving in the cars that they own, if they think that's a problem-free, you know, profit-making business, I would urge them <laughs> to take a lot of caution with that approach because I think we just have we're only beginning to explore all of the all of the problems. I understand all the problems um, that can come out of that, especially at scale. Especially at scale because Tesla has some right, scale, but like nothing compared to like a real car company. So let's just just because we had some other topics we can't get to at length. All right, as all of this was playing out, a few more days passed a couple more interesting things happened to round out the, the craziest week in self-driving history since DARPA. And that is <laughs> George Hotz then quit comma AI, which I don't even know what to say about that. I have, I and talked then, to him. I have insights on that. 
You want to tell us? You want to summarize it well, for us? What are the other? What are the other items? Okay. What are the other then items? Two, truck and autonomous trucking company. Too simple. Fired CEO. Shouty. Has he been on this show? Shouty Ho. Yeah. How we yeah. had him on the show, right? Yeah. It's small yeah. world. Um, and then, and this is like almost like the perfect end cap to all this. Uh, Cruise announces they're expanding their geofence to cover most of San Francisco. And um, Waymo announces they're going to do uh, pickups and drops at Phoenix Airport. So AV is not even close to dead. Oh, and and Waymo expanded to Los Angeles. And Waymo expanded to Los Angeles. So, um, <laughs> well, I've seen a lot. I, so, I, I saw a lot of yeah. wrong takes in the last seven days. Um, I can't wait to talk more in the future um, when I can. If you think AVs are a scam, go to San Francisco. Just go to San Francisco and like spend a couple hours downtown and tell me that AVs are a scam. Um, So just a real quick one on um, comma founder George Hotz. Um, Just because there's, there was, you know, I I wrote about it, but um, I believe the verge and maybe a couple others wrote about it. He posted something in GitHub, um, um, GitHub and, and basically said, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping away from comma. And I immediately was like, wait a minute, four years ago, I wrote a fun story that George Hotz turned to his board of which he is the only member and fired himself as CEO. (laughs) So basically what's happening is he is, and he told me this and you can read my story. Like they haven't really had a CEO since Ricardo um, Biasini left. Ricardo Biasini, we love him. Good guy. Yeah. Yeah. So he was, he left the CEO post in 2019, but he stayed on at comma until 2020, um, early 2020. Um, the show is kind of being run by the COO, um, Alex Matzner. She's great. And CTO, um, Harold Schaeffer. And George basically told me, is like, listen, I just, I don't have the patience to like do what is required to scale a company properly. I like I like the wartime stuff. I like, you know, the long nights and the, you know, all the craziness. And he just is like, and this is very common, like with startup founders that reach a point where they realize they're actually terrible at the management part of things. Um, And so he is moving on, but he's still the, he's still a board member, the only board member, by the way. And he is um, president of the company. Um, the one thing to clarify is that it was kind of characterized as that he was sick of raising money. Uh, he didn't put this in the GitHub, um, blog post, but they actually did quietly raise $10 million last year. Um, and their comma three, which we really need to test out by the way, he says is great now. So it's been a while since we've been in it and the price is much more expensive now. It's 2000 bucks. Um, but it's basically plug and play now. And it works on more than 200 cars. So I'll be very curious to see what happens with that. He says that he's they've had really good conversations with regulators, which is different from what was happening before. Um, so, so, you know, they're hiring. They've got, you know, more people. We'll see what happens with this company. Um, but him leaving, really what he wants to work on is the underlying AI software. B is B. Being George Hotz, yeah. I mean, there's always George being George, right? But um, I, I think that it's. I would say this. I don't think it's going to hurt, comma. 
uh, for him to step away. It seems like that maybe that was a good choice. So wait, can I give, listen, I, can um, I give props to George for a second? I, I've you, I've driven almost every eight S system on the market, and the bottom line is that the comma unit at any given point was probably tied for or better than anyone else's ADAS on any vehicle. Maybe not in terms of, of absolute like system safety. I mean like hardware integration with a car, but in terms of actual like a behavior on the road, interface, driver monitoring system, the twin infrared lamps, all that stuff, like it was always ahead of everybody else in so many ways. And um, I'll miss George, but I thought he did a lot of things right. I, I I do I give I give George credit to I mean I, he he's definitely you know I think he's not someone that I've ever <laughs> felt like oh I'm just gonna like take everything he says as gospel, um, which you know to be fair I don't think anyone should should really take anyone's word as as gospel, um, but I think yeah an like OEM he, should he, buy should buy comma right now so, an OEM that's hmm. smart will buy the company now George is out they should just buy them I buy yeah right I don't oh, I don't think like using a, a smartphone I, is ever uh, gonna be something that the OEMs that the OEMs do. I, and, and for good reasons too. Like, again, I think it's, it's one thing as a, as an open source software project slash hybrid business, that's one thing, but I think as just something you put on, you know, offer to consumers an affordable price, I think it would be a disaster. And I think like, like the whole, to me, like the whole, like we're having good conversations with regulators, like who's having hard rate conversations with regulators. I mean, regulators have barely stepped well, in. You, you, you know, who's having like, hard conversations. <laughs> You know, well, well, they don't see I, how hard are they really if but, they're still, but, the stuff's still but, on the road. But, yeah, except for that, the reason why I mentioned that specifically is because he famously received a weirdly penned letter from someone who is now in the AV space, by the way. Yeah, friend Mark was, Yes, that said, hey, like it wasn't quite a cease and desist, but it was interpreted as such. And that's when they open sourced everything. Yeah. So it was, it was not a cease and desist at all. It was tell us more about what you're doing and why you think it's safe. Right. And, and, and right. the response was, oh shit, <laughs> pivot. Right. Which wait, wait, and, I, okay. and here's, here's what I want to really give Hots credit for though, because it's the same thing as, as what he did in that situation. He realized that getting into a highly regulated, the, the car product space and, and a dangerous place where people die all the time was, something that you should think twice about. And and he did think twice about it and he took a different route, which I think was the responsible way to do what he was doing. Like if you're going to do what, what Kama has been doing, I think the way they've been doing it is the right way to do it. I will also say that I think the lesson that he's learned here and, and that he talks about that, that Kirsten characterized is a really important one for the driving automation technology space because this first and, and something we should, a lesson everyone should take out of this first bubble or whatever in this technology, which is, this isn't really a place for traditional startup guys. Like, like there are there are places for them, like these sort of tech, you know, brilliant tech startup people who love these binges and whatever, and like you know, late nights and and creative solutions and whatever. There's a place for them. We, we you need creative, you know, technology innovators in this space. But fundamentally, driving automation tech is more like cars than it is like smartphones or social media. In that, it's safety critical. And as a result, it needs a level of structure and discipline in the development that you just don't get from startup culture. And I think that recognizing, I think that having people like Hot say, you know what, this space, I thought this space was cool. I got into it because it was exciting. But what I've learned is that it's actually not a great space for people of my temperament 
I think is a fantastic <laughs> thing to be telling the public. No, seriously, I give him a huge credit for knowing himself, for understanding the space that he got himself into, and for providing a good example to future startup founders. I, I give Potts tons of credit for those things, and I thank him for for, for doing what he's done, because um, I think it's it's something that, that everyone should, should be learning from. Okay, I do and have on one that question, note, though, for you. Kirsten, will you take us no, on? No, no, one, 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 one final question. So you said that you thought that um, that turning and open sourcing it was the right move for from, for this for from, this kind of for the kind for what he's doing. Like, if you're gonna use a smartphone to make a car, kind of drive itself ish, like don't do that as just a product that people go to the store and buy and treat as a product because the American consumer is not going to approach that with the level of sophistication that's needed. Got doing it. it as an open source program the way they have ensures that the people who use it are people who are going to have a higher level of technical sophistication. It's going to limit the market size, which I think is the right thing to do. And it's going to attract hobbyists. It's a hobby thing. And those are the people, if, if we're going to have anyone just testing random <laughs> driving automation tech software on public roads in 6,000 pound death machines, like <laughs> doing whatever we can to limit that group to, you know, people who have some seriousness well, and some expertise and who, who, who take it more seriously is, is a positive thing. So I'm glad that you um, clarified that because, you know, the comma three now is very, it's pretty easy to put in your car now. It's oh, don't tell a couple. People this, it's Kirsten. Not, don't. <laughs> it's very easy. You're part of the problem it's a, couple, now. a couple of YouTube. I mean, <laughs> but my point is, is that it's between like $2,000 and $2,500, depending on the storage you want. And it is like you set it up with tutorials on YouTube now. You don't have to download, like you don't have to do the things. It's technically easier and they are moving towards wanting to make it a consumer product. He's His goal for the company is he thinks that there's a market for 100,000 of these a year. So you might have to change your feelings. He did just raise money and and people people used to think that money was the root of all evil, but it's actually fundraising rounds, it turns out, as we've learned, are actually the root Oh, I thought MOUs with automakers are the root of all evil. Listen, evil may have a number of roots, <laughs> as it turns out. Well if we've learned anything, if we've learned anything in this episode, it's that automakers are fickle and they will make tough choices and they will cut you. And 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 I think we should talk more about the fact that what the companies were doing was not just developing cars. And I think, you know, these are not just self-driving cars, it's something different. And anyway, a lot of lessons to learn, but but we'll be talking a lot more. And and we got Alex back. Alex can actually say things about I, autonomous vehicles. Yeah, I can say again. a lot more. I can't say everything yet, but I can say a lot more. You know, I the you know, when I joined Argo, one of the things that Brian Slesky said to me was, you know, I want to do things the right way. I want to take a patient measured approach. We need to earn the trust of communities. We have to do it right. And I was really gratified to see in, in almost every story that came out, you know, journalists cite that, that like Argo was considered the good guys, the patient guys, like the, the you know, approaching things correctly. And that was something that I cared about very deeply. It was part of my job. And I'm glad that, that was recognized. I hope that other companies, um, I hope that other company or companies pick up the mantle and, and continue that work because that'll be the difference. If two, once two or more companies are competing in a city to deploy AV at scale, the company that has that is the company that's going to survive. That's a great note to end on. <laughs> and on that note, yeah, 
Uh, thanks, Alex and Ed, um, for talking today. And thanks to our audience for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. Cast.